Bible. Amen. I want to turn your attention in the Word of the Lord to the Gospel of Luke, the 15th chapter. If you've got a Bible, if you would turn there with me. If you're next to somebody who has one, you might want to uh, cheat off of theirs and, and look at theirs. You can pull it up on your device. I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 15 and uh, in the New King James Version. And just follow along with me if you would. Luke chapter 15 and I'll begin reading with verse 11. Jesus is uh, speaking a series of parables and teaching a multitude of people. And he picks up in Luke chapter 15, verse 11. And, and Jesus said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and journeyed into a far country, and there he wasted his possessions with prodigal living. And when he had spent it all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly have filled his stomach with the pods and the husks that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. I want to just call your attention to that verb, that gave. He said, Father, give me everything I've got coming to me, but not very long thereafter, after some times of reckless living, found himself in a position where no one would give him anything. Verse 17 picks up and says, But when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Verse 25, now his older son was in the field and as he came in, he drew near to the house. He heard the music and the dancing and he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. And he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you, and I have never transgressed your commandment at any time. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, he can't even bear to say the name of his brother, as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And the father said to him, son, you've always been with me, and all that I have is yours. 
It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. I want to focus our attention on on a particular verse of Scripture, verse 22 in that chapter. I'm going to read it again in your hearing, and then I want us to go to the Lord in prayer. Verse 22 says, The Father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. I want to minister this morning about restoration gifts. Restoration gifts. Let's set our Bibles down and lift up our hands toward heaven all across this room and let's seek the Lord in prayer and petition him from heaven. Lord, we come to you right now with open hearts. Lord, I pray that every heart across this room would be open to receive your word today and that, Lord, as your spirit continues its ministry, there's already a strong witness of your spirit here today. But, Lord, as the word goes forth and as your spirit confirms it and ministers to our hearts, Lord, I pray that we would have ears to hear what the spirit would say to each and every one of us. Lord, that our hearts would be ready to receive and that, Lord, you would pour out your spirit in a mighty and miraculous way at the conclusion of this service. Lord, when it's time to respond to your word, I pray that each and every one of us would do so with gladness and with joy and with an urgency in our spirit. Lord, I pray that you would do this for your glory so that your name can be lifted up. And Lord, we will be careful to give you all of the praise and the glory and the honor. And we pray it in the mighty name of Jesus. And the church said, Amen. You may be seated. Restoration gifts. Restoration gifts. This is a story in a series of three stories about a lost son. Jesus tells a series of parables in Luke chapter 15 that are designed, are meant to be viewed together, considered together. He tells a story about a lost sheep. He tells a story about a lost coin. And then, most famously of all, Jesus tells a story about a lost son. An irresponsible young man who demanded his inheritance. He received his inheritance and everything he had coming to him. And then the scripture testifies and tells us that he went into a far country and he squandered it all. In the course of time, this young man, through his reckless living, became so destitute that the scripture says that he would have gladly filled his stomach with the husks and the pods that the swine ate. He would have gladly dug into what the pigs were eating and felt like he was really becoming full. There came a time in the young man's story, in this story that Jesus told that's been called by some as the greatest short story ever told. The young man came to himself in the midst of all the squalor in the midst of all the destitution and the hopelessness that he was experiencing and all of the isolation that his environment caused him to feel, the young man eventually came to himself and he returned home to beg forgiveness and to beg for a place in his father's house as a servant. And to his surprise, when he arrived on the scene, When he crossed over the property line, his loving and merciful father met him at that place. He was waiting for his son to return home. He was sitting on the front porch, scanning the horizon, waiting for the day that that lost son would come to himself and return back to the father's house. 
I don't think it's insignificant today that the scripture bears record of exactly what took place after the father embraced the son and after they exchanged remarks. There were some physical actions that took place and there were some things that were placed into the son's possession once again. And I would submit to you and to each and every one of us this morning that these are the kinds of gifts that the heavenly father wants to hand over into your life. They are called restoration gifts because every single one of us under the sound of my voice today knows what it is to be in a place where we feel far from God. I would even submit to you today that it's possible to be here in a house of worship and still feel as though you are far from God. The Lord has gifts for you today. Let us consider together what these gifts are and what they might mean for us. The first gift that the father gave to this son who was returning home is the most significant gift of all. He received the best robe, the best robe, his father's robe. The best robe that any one of us could ever receive is the robe of righteousness, because our righteousness is as filthy rags. Our, if, if our righteousness, Brother Riley, was envisioned as a garment, it would have holes in it. It would be stained. It would be disgusting. It would be soiled. It would be worthless. But we need something better if we're going to be a part of his family. And the Father wants to bestow on each and every one of us. There needs to be an exchange that can happen even yet this morning where you exchange what is tattered and broken in your life and the Father gives you something brand new. He pulls some, not just any robe, but the best robe. He said, go and and fetch the best robe. Find the best thing in my closet, the one that's ironed, the one that's clean, the one that's fresh. Come and bring it to my son who was once lost but is found, the one who was dead but is now alive. There's a robe of righteousness that the Lord wants to give to you. When you come to Jesus Christ, he takes a perfect robe from his closet and he puts it on your shoulders. He wraps you in it. It is a robe without spot or stain. And when you wear that robe that the Father places on your shoulders, you look to him as though you've never been away from home, as though the pig pen never existed, as though the riotous and reckless living never took place. There's something about that robe. We need to, get it. We need to understand just how powerful this is right here because there's a robe of righteousness, and it's his righteousness, and it needs to be imputed to you. Brother Dustin, how does that happen? It happens whenever we go down in the name of Jesus in water baptism, and that name is applied, and the blood from Calvary that's contained in the name of Jesus Christ is applied to your life and my life. It's at that moment that that robe comes over your shoulders, and their sins are washed away. Whatever your previous life was about, whatever kind of riotous and reckless living, whatever your priorities were, whatever your experiences may have been, all of that is washed away and covered by the blood of Jesus. All, let me put it another way, all of it is covered up by that robe of righteousness that the Father wants to place over your shoulders and wants to put on you. It's not just any robe. It's the best robe. It's his righteousness. It's not your brother's righteousness. It's not the preacher's righteousness. It's his righteousness. He is perfect. He is spotless. He is without stain or blemish. 
God looks down for heaven, from heaven at that moment, and he says, you look perfect to me because I clothed you in my own righteousness. I just like to let my imagination run wild sometimes, maybe not too wild, but I like to maybe think about what the rest of the story must have looked like as the young man started to live this new life when he would go into town and as the townspeople would see him coming, Brother Elledge, they'd see him with that robe on and they may have thought they even seen the father coming because he looked just like him. He, looked, he bore the resemblance of the one who put that robe on him and he started to look like the father and he started to walk like the father and he started to be held in the same respect as the father because he was wearing that robe of righteousness. No more did someone look at him and see the tattered robes of his past life and the mistakes and the hurts and the brokenness. But now when somebody looked at him, whether it was God from heaven or whether it was one of his brothers or sisters or a complete stranger on the street, they saw something different. It was a different kind of robe than he'd ever worn before. And this is a doctrine that the Bible teaches us unmistakably that this is indeed what God does and will do for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It's one of the most powerful scriptures in the whole Bible. It says in Matthew, Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, they're wondering, they're worrying, they're saying that we're anxious about all these things, Jesus. And Jesus says, don't be anxious about any of those things. You don't have to worry about any of those things. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What is the key? It's the righteousness. It's that robe that you have. you got to have. We're going to get to some of the other gifts, but brothers and sisters, if you miss the robe, if you miss the robe, you miss it all. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be added unto you. Can we go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 together? If you've got your Bible, open it up because it expounds on this a little more. I, I, I don't want you to think I'm taking a story today and pulling things way out of context and, and, and painting a picture that's not really there because this is the doctrine of Scripture. This is what God guarantees. This is what he wants to do in your life. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 26. I'm going to read a few verses and then I'll stop, but it says this. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. Let me put that in our lingo. I'm not here because I'm awesome. I'm not here because I'm qualified. I'm not here because I'm strong. But I'm here because in the plan of God, he has chosen the foolish things. He has chosen the broken things. He's chosen the weak things. It's what the father did with that son. The son was messed up. He didn't have anything to offer. He wasn't awesome. He wasn't qualified. And he wasn't strong. But this is the plan of God. You don't have to be any of those things to inherit a robe of righteousness. Scripture goes on in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, says the base things of the world 
the things which are despised. God has chosen those things. God turns the whole world inside out when he puts that robe on you. He defies, he doesn't really care what anybody else thinks. He doesn't care what the neighbors think, Brother Billy. He doesn't care what the other son thinks. He doesn't care what the townspeople think. He doesn't think what his investors think. He doesn't care about any of that. Only thing that matters is that my son was dead and is alive again. My son was lost and is found again. And I'm not going to let my son walk around the face of this earth looking like that anymore. Bring out the best robe and put it on him. He's able, 1 Corinthians says, to take the things which are not and to make them as though they are. What do you think that's talking about? That's talking about the condition that he finds each and every one of us in. He finds us in a place where we are nothing. And when he puts that robe of righteousness, immediately your value is restored. You may have been nothing in the far country. You may have been a slave in the far country. You may have been living in the pig pen. You may have been eating the husks in the far country. But now God is able in the stroke of just one moment to take that thing that is nothing and to turn it into something that has so much value. That's what God has in mind for you, brother or sister. He takes me as I am. And he makes me into what I need to be. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But verse 30 says, But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us the wisdom of God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That is, as it is written, he who glories, let him glorify and glory in the Lord. Let me put that in our vernacular. Simply this. It isn't my robe. It isn't my robe. No matter how long I wear it, no matter how long he lets me wear it, no matter how quick he is to put it on my shoulders, Brother Turner, it's not my robe. It's his robe. It's his righteousness. I never get to arrive at the place where I think that I've done something. I don't have to live in the pig pen anymore, but I also can't forget whose righteousness is wrapped around my shoulders. I can't forget whose identity that I've taken on in water baptism. I represent something bigger than just me. It's his righteousness that did it all. He pulled it out of his closet when I didn't even have a house to live in. He pulled it out of his closet and put it on my shoulders. I'm talking this morning about restoration gifts, a restoration of sonship. There's a relationship with God wants to have with each and every one of you today, and it's a relationship as a son. And there is a restoration move of the Holy Ghost that can happen even today where God wants to restore you into your position. Maybe it's just a revelation of who you are in him, but you are a son or a daughter of God, and he has a plan for your life, and he has a robe of righteousness with your name written on it restoration gifts. And right at that moment where you start to protest because you feel like, God, I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy of that kind of thing. God slips a ring onto your finger. 
He received a ring from the Father, and the ring was a sign of authority. The ring was a sign of power. It was a signet ring. It was a ring that had an emblem made into it that he could stamp onto documents, and in effect, it would be like somebody today giving you their wallet or their card or their bank account number or something. He was able, he was enabled immediately to do business in the name of the Father. There was a restoration of authority. The robe guaranteed righteousness and forgiveness. But God wasn't content just to wipe the slate clean for the son and leave him on some kind of neutral ground where he didn't have any teeth or any claws or he was just some domesticated little house pet that had to live in the house as a trophy, as a reminder, as an example, as a parable. But God said, I'm not just going to leave you with the robe, but as soon as I can, I'm going to slip a ring onto your finger. I'm going to give you access to authority and power. That ring suggested to us today that all authority that originally belonged to the Son was restored and given back to Him at repentance. God said, even though you've strayed, even though you've wandered, now that you're home, I'm going to give you my authority to witness, to testify, to preach, to pray, to speak, to act, to change, to do everything that you need to be doing as a son of mine. God gives you the authority to use his name as you pray and to get an answer from heaven. The ring is a symbol of authority and power, not just that the preacher has, not just that the established many years saint has, but every child of God that's been born again of the water and of the Spirit can expect not only to receive a robe of righteousness, but to feel the feeling of that ring on your finger that ought to remind you every day that I'm not toothless, I'm not defenseless, I've got weapons, and the weapons of my Warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. No weapon formed against me can prosper. Anytime someone starts to chirp about the way I used to be, anytime someone starts to talk about how where I was and how I got here, I don't have to deal with any of that. All I got to do is wave this ring a little bit. All I got to do is remind them I'm here to do business. You don't have to listen to the voice of Satan. You don't have to listen to the voice of that adversary that tries to convince you that you don't have any power. All you've got to do is make sure that ring's still on your finger and remind him, Satan, I'm here to do business. Satan, I'm authorized. Satan, I'm empowered. I don't have to listen to your nonsense anymore. It was a sign of power and authority, and it was a sign of covenant. It was a sign of agreement in much the same way today that when people exchange rings, it is a sign of covenant. You have a covenant that cannot be broken by any external force when you are in covenant with God. People still need a church that believes in a covenant relationship with God. There still needs to exist a group of people on the face of the earth that believes that baptism in the name of Jesus means something. And it means more than just going through a public display of faith. But it means that you are entering into a holy and a sacred covenant with God. There's a robe of righteousness that's being imparted to you. There's something that's being slipped onto your finger that gives you authority and power and tells you that you are in a lasting, lasting and unbreakable 
covenant. There's no external force. The only way you get out of this covenant is if you remove yourself from it. There's nothing in this world that can remove you from a covenant that you've entered into with the Father. Romans chapter 8 says, Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is, who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen and is even at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us? From the love of Christ. Shall tribulation? Ah. Uh, shall distress? I don't think so. Persecution? Famine? Nakedness? Peril? Sword? Yet in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither life nor death nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Talking about a restoration gift that ought to remind you every day that you wear it, that you've got authority, that you've got power, and that you are in an unbreakable covenant between you and God. No weapon formed against you can prosper. And the covenant that I'm talking about today is put into place in water baptism in the name of Jesus, and it's sealed by receiving the gift of God's Spirit. It's sealed by receiving the gift of God's Spirit. Talking today about restoration gifts. He's given a robe. He's given a ring. Lastly, he's given new shoes. New shoes. He's given him shoes. Shows us exactly where the son was in life. He had nothing to stand on, literally, literally. The brother didn't have any shoes. Remember that during this time that this was told, a couple, a couple thousand years ago, people walked everywhere they went. And servants oftentimes did not wear shoes. But the father gave his returning son a pair of shoes to wear. For the son to be given shoes was very important because it showed how the father cared for his son's practical needs. When that happens, when you receive a set of shoes, there's something, that, when, when there's that kind of demonstration of care and compassion, there's a peace that accompanies that. That peace is the third restoration gift that I want to call your attention to today. It's not just peace like it's the absence of conflict, but it's Peace in a biblical sense of peace. It's alignment with God. It's order instead of chaos. It's a clear vision for your life instead of confusion. Those shoes also tell us today that it's important to acknowledge that on day one of starting a relationship with God, that even when you're back home, there's still places to go in your relationship with God. I want to park there for a minute. We make much of being born again of the water and of the Spirit, and that is absolutely appropriate because that is absolutely the plan of God for the church, to be born again of the water and of the Spirit. That's for every single one of us. And we make much of it, and you won't find many services where we don't allude to it in some way, shape, or form. But there's shoes that signify when, when you are born again of the water and of the Spirit, when you come back into the Father's house, those shoes signify that there's still 
some places to go. There's still some places to go in your relationship with God. The shoes were the tool of a daily walk. The prodigal needs to return home to a family who is doing a daily walk with God. I know a lot of us have shoes. We need to make sure we're walking. A lot of us have been gifted a pair of shoes. Only you know what your walk is, but you need to make sure you're walking. Someone, someone's asked people, you know, how, how did you make it? I've heard people, I've heard people testify, and they said, you know, how, how did you make it? How, how in the world did you make it? You went through such a tough season. You went through a very difficult time that we all end up inevitably, it seems, going through. And someone's asked, you know, how, how, how did you make it through that? How did you survive? And I've heard time and time and time and time and time again, the testimony of that person, they shake their head, almost not able to really put their finger on saying, I don't know how in the world I made it. I don't know how I made it. I don't know how I made it through that. But then finally, once you give them a moment to collect their thoughts and to really meditate on it and think about it, they'll say something like, I walked out of my old life into a church that was walking the walk. They had a daily walk. I was able to find some brothers and some sisters who had a pair of shoes just like me. And I was in my darkest hour in the valley of the shadow of death when I was coming out of my old life, when I was just going through a difficult season in my walk with God and life was throwing everything it could at me. There were brothers and sisters who were around me that believed in me, that were showing me how to walk when I was down to a crawl, when I just wanted to curl up into the fetal position and give up. There were still people around me, Brother Riley, that they were just taking it one step at a time. They were walking it out one day at a time. There were some people, there were some saints of God who surrounded me, who hadn't forgotten the value and the power of a daily walk, that even though they may have received that set of shoes so many years ago, there was still power in that restoration gift of the set of shoes that they received from their father. They still knew that there was places still yet to go in the kingdom. There was still business to conduct. There were still people to find. And so they were walking it out every single day. And I was able in that moment to get caught up into the momentum of those who were around me, who were walking the walk, who were doing the daily things that it takes to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I've got a friend that when he was a young man, he was one to the Lord at a college campus at about age 20. And about a month later, after he was one to the Lord, he was teaching, he was teaching a Bible study in his dorm with many of his fellow college students. And he was seeing people converted just a month, just a month, just a month after he received that set of shoes. Just a month after he had his first experience with God being born again of the water and of the Spirit. 20 years old, a month later, he's teaching a Bible study. He's got a group together. He's imparting the truth of God's Word to them, and he's seeing them be converted in their thinking and respond to the gospel, and they themselves be born again of the water and of the Spirit. What an amazing testimony. And I've heard someone ask him one time, how did that come to pass? It just seems so accelerated. It seems like so much happened all at once in those first couple of months. How in the world was that able to happen to you? How is that story possible? 
And I've heard him say, I was born into a spiritual environment where the saints of God believed in reaching for the lost, in praying, in consecrating, in forsaking worldliness, in living holy, in living right, in living a life of worship. He said, I was born into an atmosphere, and I was given a pair of shoes, and I was born into a family that they also had a pair of shoes. And when I woke up that day in the spirit, everybody was already walking, and I just took off walking with them. And God was able to start unlocking the supernatural and the miraculous will of God all over his college campus. And he's still doing it today because he was born into an environment where there were some brothers and sisters who said, I'm going to take it upon myself to make sure that not only am I embracing the robe of God's righteousness and all of his forgiveness in my life, not only am I going to shout about the power and the authority that he's given me, but I'm not going to forsake the shoes of the daily walk and the peace and the clear vision that God has for my life. Because brothers and sisters, believe me, there are those in this room who are looking for a walking partner. There's those who are watching. They're watching the gait and the step and the pace and everything about your daily walk to see if such a thing is even sustainable, to see if it's really real. We used to sing a song that says, it's real, it's real. I know it's real. The best way someone can really know that it's real is not necessarily the preacher singing a song to them about it's real. But it's whenever we're on Monday and we're on Tuesday and we're on Friday that they see others that are walking it out in the midst of all their mess, in the middle of all of their nonsense, in the middle of all the challenges that they're facing. When they want to crawl up into a hole and not walk anymore or they don't even know how to walk yet, they're looking for a walking partner. They're looking for somebody who's able to testify to them and say, it's real. It's real. I know it's real. I have to have a strong daily walk with God because someone else might be depending on it. The musicians would come because God might have a walking partner for me, someone who needs to be discipled. You might not have a whole Bible study group on a college campus somewhere, but there might be one. And I promise you, You have the capacity for one. Because the Lord will never give you a commandment that you are not able to fulfill and be obedient to. And when he says, go and teach and reach and make disciples and love one another, if it's one. For most of us, it's one. One is the most effective method of doing it. It's what Jesus did with his disciples. He called them one by one. He trained them one by one. He had conversations one by one. And it's the most powerful way that you can change somebody's life. We need somebody that holds us accountable, somebody that aids our pursuit of holiness, that keeps you God-focused, that provides good gospel fellowship, and helps you live out your faith. It's about that walk, and it's about those shoes been talking this morning about restoration gifts, restoration gifts. There was a period in Israel's history that's accounted for us at the beginning of the book of 1 Samuel. There's a time period where the high priest was a man named Eli. Eli had two sons named Hophni and Phinehas. 
Hophni and Phinehas. Hophni and Phinehas were doing wicked things. They were living very, very wickedly. They were the next generation of leadership, and they were not being what their generation needed them to be. They were robbing God of his offerings. They were cheating the people. Scripture even goes so far to say that they had become worthless. They were without worth. They weren't honoring their father's legacy. They were not being the people that their generation needed. Stand with me if you would. I'll read from 1 Samuel chapter 2. In the midst of all that that's happening, and there's corruption, and there's wickedness, and there's all kinds of nonsense going on, there was a young boy. His mom had prayed for him, and God had given her a son. Her name was Hannah, and her son's name was Samuel. God gave Hannah a son, and the commitment she had made to God is, God, if you will give me a son, I will dedicate him back unto you. And so when Samuel was born, he stayed for a little while with mom and dad, and then he came of age, and as a very young child, he was delivered into the hands of Eli and the priests and the temple and the whole system that was around that. And the scripture says in 1 Samuel chapter 2 that Samuel ministered before the Lord even as a child. He was just a little guy. He had to be 30 years old to fully operate as a priest. He wasn't anywhere close to that. He wasn't, he wasn't anywhere close to that. They couldn't even cheat it. He was a little guy. It says that Samuel ministered before the Lord even as a child wearing a linen ephod, just like the priest. So it'd be like, you know, it'd be like one of the little kids. They, it's like when you, you see a kid in a little uniform, you know, that's made for them, like a police uniform or a fireman's uniform or, you know, something like that. Everyone's like, aw. And everyone just, it was like he had a little custom fit uniform for him. It says, moreover, his mother, Hannah, used to make him a little robe, a little robe. And bring it to him year by year when she came up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Hannah and Elkanah, her husband, would come up every year to worship and to visit with Samuel and to catch up. They'd get there and Samuel would have come from being this tall to being a little bit taller. And she would have made for him a new little linen ephod, a new shirt, a new little uniform for him to wear. She would bring him a new ephod every single year. But Samuel had to wear it. Maybe, maybe just maybe you received some restoration gifts in your life, some of the ones I've even talked about today. And maybe you wore them for a little while, just for a season. But it might be that someone's under the sound of my voice this morning that you've packed it away. You took that robe off, you thought, God, I'm not worthy to be forgiven. I've messed up too many times. You folded it up. You put it in the drawer. You haven't really looked at it since. Maybe it was that you took off that ring. Said, God, I, I don't know. This is too big of a responsibility. I don't know that you can trust me. I don't think you've got a clear picture of who I am. I think you've mistaken me for somebody else. I'm going to take this ring off. I don't want to have that kind of power and authority. I, I, I don't know about this whole covenant thing. There's, the expectations are kind of high. Maybe it's the shoes. Maybe, maybe it's just the daily walk and, and the stability of, uh, and the peace of God that has somehow been taken up off of your feet and you've put them into one of those little shoe boxes in the closet and, and 
Maybe it's something you wore just one time, or maybe it's something you just wear on Sundays or on special occasions. But I want to make a call from the Holy Ghost today and make it very, very clear that it is the will of God that you wear those restoration gifts all the time. Hannah would bring little Samuel that robe, that little linen ephod. But Samuel had to wear it. You ever got something? You ever got a shirt from somebody or something and and you you only wear it when they're around? Don't point at anybody. What a tragedy it would have been if Samuel would have taken that approach. We know everything Samuel went on. He went on to... The testimony of Samuel ends up being that God would speak through Samuel and God wouldn't allow a single word of Samuel's to fall to the ground. Whoa. What a tragedy it would have been if Samuel would have gotten that little linen ephod from his mom when he was just a little guy. And it would have been one of those things that he only wore whenever mom come to town, whenever I'm in trouble, whenever life isn't going my way, then I'm going to go and dig out all that stuff and I'm going to put it on. God's calling you to something more, brothers and sisters. The Holy Ghost is here, and there's a ministering spirit of God that's here right now. Can we lift up our hands all over this place? Because God's calling on somebody right now. I don't stand in condemnation today. I stand as a messenger of the Father, and he's calling somebody, and he's saying, wear them. Wear them. Wear them. I've given you a robe. I've given you a ring. I've given you a sho- the pair of shoes. Wear them. These altars are open right now. I would that some Holy Ghost-filled saint of God would make a move out of where they're at right now and would just take a little bit of that daily walk up to the altar space and up to the front of this building. Would you do that right now? all over this place. Brothers and sisters, could we create an atmosphere of response right now as we go and we begin to sing and we begin to lift up praises to him? Can we just create an atmosphere of response? Because God is saying to somebody right now, he's saying, wear them, wear them, wear them. It's up to you today. There's a robe, there's a ring, there's a pair of shoes. Come on, whatever you came in need of today, Maybe you need a clear and restored vision for your life. It's available here today. Slip those shoes onto your feet and let the Lord see where he'll take you. Come on, find that ring of power, that ring of authority, that ring of covenant agreement, and remember every promise that God's ever made to you. Remember every covenant that he's ever made with you. Remember every point of access and every power and every authority that he has ever brought you into. Come on, I'm not satisfied right now. If you've ever received the gift of the Holy Ghost, I want to call on you. Take a step out of where you are right now. If you have ever received the gift of the Holy Ghost, if you have ever experienced what that lost son was able to experience, I want you to move out of the place that you're at and exercise your faith because there's someone here today who has been longing for a day like this where the Father is scanning the horizon and he's waiting for them. Come on, there's no greater testimony than a personal testimony. You ought to link up with somebody right now. You ought to let the gifts of the Spirit move through you and lay hands on somebody and say, I'm with you. He's he's for you. God is for you.
Come on, some of you have put those restoration gifts into the closet. You've shuttered them away for a little while. It's time to unpack those. It's time to unpack that authority. It's time to unpack that identity and say no weapon for Satan. The things you've been throwing at me, the things that you've been putting into my life, the temptation that I've been listening to, it has no place in my life. In the name of Jesus, I bind it. I cast it away. on there's somebody right now that's been living under the weight of condemnation I'm talking to you right now in the Holy Ghost it is not the will of God that you live in condemnation it is not the will of God that you beat yourself up and you destroy yourself over things God is willing to forgive you of take that to the Father take that to the Father confess it to him and let him forgive you let him wrap that robe on you one more time let him put that robe of righteousness on you again Come on, the choice is up to you right now, Samuel. The choice is up to you. God has a prophetic destiny on your life, Samuel. God has a testimony for you, Samuel. It's not over, Samuel. You've got to wear it. Wear it, Samuel. on if you deal with condemnation I want you to come to the front and I want you to allow us to pray with you we're going to go piece by piece right now we're going to because there's restoration that God wants to deal with right now come on if you deal with any kind of condemnation if you deal with the enemy trying to knock you down and beat you down you need to step out from where you are and you need to let us you need to let us pray with you because the Lord wants to restore you the Lord does not wish for you to live that way The Lord does not wish for you to live enslaved by sin and enslaved by the voice of the enemy. It's not about that, brothers and sisters. It's about restoration. It's about God saying, you're my child. I don't see it that way anymore. I bind the voice of the adversary that would try to speak condemnation over any child of God. I curse that voice in the name of Jesus. Let the compassion of our Heavenly Father flow through this place right now. Come on. There's forgiveness flowing right now. There's assurance flowing right now. You don't have to go through every day wondering if you're still saved, if you're still forgiven, if you're still loved. Come on, continue to pray. But if you deal with a lack of power in your spiritual life, if you just feel like you've been anemic, if you feel like there's no authority, if you feel like you want to be restored in your power and your authority and your covenant promises with God, I want you to step out like some already have. And I want us to lay hands on you because God wants you to operate and to exercise spiritual gifts and to have authority and power. Come on. With the ministers of the church, with those who have faith, let's come, let's pray. In the name of Jesus, there's a ring. Oh, 
Come on, these are restoration gifts. These are restoration gifts today. If you need peace, if you need peace, if you need order, if there's chaos in your world, you need to step out of where you are right now and you need to claim peace and order in the Holy Ghost because there's peace. God wants to give you something to stand on. God wants to give you something that's going to stabilize you. I want to call on you. Step out of where you are. God wants to give you peace today. God wants to wrap you in his arms today and say there's mercy for you. There's vision for you. Come on, this is a call right now. If there's chaos in your world, if things seem like they're a little bit out of control, I want you to step out from where you are in faith and say, God, that's me. I'm claiming my gift. I'm claiming my gift. Hallelujah. Shatter, Rotorobo, Katar, 